press record for fun. But if you want to not record when there's drilling going on in the background, I will understand. Okay, we can edit it. I can only edit out drilling that's happening while nobody is speaking. And considering the hosts of this podcast, <laughs> I'm not sure how often. Although I'm, I'm quite, de I'm quite depressed today. I've got very little personality. Welcome to the spin-off, the show where award-winning podcasters Fleur Emery and me, producer Buckers, reunite to discuss attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. ADHD is, of course, a condition of distractibility. So, although we are loosely examining the experience of living with a diagnosis, conversationally we will soon break loose and set off towards the unmapped territories of our minds. We sometimes swear, and if you're a blood relative of either of us, listener caution is advised. We have watched lots of YouTube videos about this stuff, and I've got half a nursing degree, but we're not medical experts, so please bear that in mind. Is that okay, Buckers? That's lovely. Let's do a podcast. Okay, my personality's seeping back in. It's, re it's going up through my toes, it's reaching my calves. I think we're good. I've got a subject for today. Okay. When it kind of sinks in. <laughs> Sinking in. It's sinking in this then, Buckers. You know, I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. It's so extraordinary. It's another layer to how I can understand myself. And it's incredible, really. I'm so lucky because I only came to be diagnosed, you know, after I'd done so much work on myself and I'd really come to love and accept myself. So this is just another layer on the beautiful cake of my self-understanding. Yeah. No. I've, um, I've come down okay. from that. <laughs> And it's just me looking around the grey world at the spilt milk and the dog turds and wondering what could have been. Ah, yes. The the what if. That, yeah. Mm. That's where I'm at right now. It's hard. Can you help me with it? Tell me what it was like for you. Um, was there anything that made you, that kind of like triggered that for you? As in, was there like a a situation or something that somebody said to you or something? Yeah, that holiday, you... going on holiday, holiday, yeah. Going on holiday. And I had this, I had this feeling that now I understood all the things that were harder for me, you know, packing, planning, time and space, when we're going to get there, what time the car, you know, the car rental, the you know, the... Have you uploaded your driving license? Is it the right one? Is it out of date? Have you paid this? All of having become aware that all of that stuff was kind of doubly hard for me, I kind of thought that that meant that by knowing it, it would become easier. Mm. And I think it's kind of worse now. Mm. I think that's what the holiday taught me. It's like now I can see how hard it is for myself. Yeah. And it's like before I did, you don't, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And yeah. now I, I see myself and this thing happened when my friend, my dear, dear friend um, offered 
to have my kid for like 24 hours and she's never away from me so that was a huge thing and a huge possibility for me to have a rest mm. and I did all the planning to get her to London to rent rent a car because the train strikes and the heat and air conditioning and picking the car up and cycling to the car getting the car seat in the car all this stuff got there dropped her off thanks I packed her her teeth are brushed you know she's got the right food snacks she, all this stuff got her got home again and they went out on their big trip and my daughter's shoes were too small and caused her blisters and it had to and the trip had to be cancelled mm. and it's just like that's not even the half of it yeah <laughs> that's just what you know I make mistakes like that all the time yeah and I applied myself I had lists and lists to get that right and I think before pre-diagnosis I would have brushed that off and just been like oh yeah shoes yeah say la vie I'll get more could have happened to anyone say la vie yeah but now I really see it as that's kind of my special zone of ball dropping those kind of things yeah and watching myself doing it despite a thousand percent effort to make that trip happen was dispiriting but in a whole new way yeah (laughs) it just made me realize how much of my life I have spent doing that like in extreme application and effort and planning and then still it's like an eye roll because you haven't even got you know I've arrived on the wrong day Mm. and it made me feel very sad I've had many um similar experiences where you kind of you get the diagnosis and you think, okay, well now I can start working on the acceptance around this and around myself. And lots of the times you can. The kind of easier to brush off the shoulder things like being five minutes late or forgetting to buy the bananas that you went to the supermarket to buy and you came back with colouring pencils. You know, you can like, you can brush those things off. But when the bigger things happen... That self-acceptance that you were merrily expecting to just stick around forever goes out of the window because whereas before you had the diagnosis, you might just go, oh, well, you know, could have happened to anyone. Anybody could send their daughter off on a day trip with the wrong size shoes. When you've got the diagnosis, it's like this knowledge that, oh, that did happen because of this thing I have and this thing that I will always have. So these things will always happen. I had an experience yes. a few months ago where um, I'd been going to this new gym and I was loving it. It was my my new shiny thing in my life and I really loved the people and I really loved the feeling I got and I was really excited. And I'd been going to this um, really fun weightlifting class on a Saturday morning and it was what I looked forward to throughout the week. And I'd bought some brand new special weightlifting shoes, you know, the, the proper kit. And I was so excited to use them. And I'd already developed a reputation at this gym for being late for the classes. So I wrote out on the Friday evening an itinerary for my Saturday morning to get out of the house with at least a 20 minute buffer to get me there on time. And I put my brand new shoes by the front door out of their box to make sure that I remembered to take them. And I laid all of my gym clothes out. I prepared my snack. Everything was ready to go. 
and I got out of the house on time. I'd set three alarms and I got out of the house on time and I got halfway out of my village and I thought, oh, I've just walked past my brand new shoes. How did I manage to walk past those shoes? I put them right next to the door, specifically so I wouldn't forget them. So I zoomed back home, ran through the door, grabbed the shoes and I thought, that's okay. I've built in time for a buffer. I will still make it. And I reversed out of the drive and my um, around our drive at home, we've got these like big rocks that line the drive. And I just ever so slightly misjudged where I was on the driveway and I drove over a rock and I burst my tyre. So I couldn't go to the class at all. And it, with hindsight and a, a few months of distance, you just think, oh, well, you just couldn't go to your gym class. But I would, I was really looking forward to it. And I had put so much effort into making sure that I just for once got there on time and I would have done it had I not walked past those shoes and I had that exact same feeling that maybe a year or so ago I would have thought oh anybody can walk past a pair of shoes and then have to come back in a rush to pick them up and end up bursting their tyre but that day was like a real like doom of ADHD day where I just thought oh I'm always going to be in between the days where I burst a tire. I really understand that. When we, um, when you edit that, you should probably play some really sad music over that story. I can laugh about it now. I, I can. But that day, I spent the rest of the day in bed because it, it washed over me like a black cloud of of shame really because I just felt like I'm an adult how can I not get to the gym on time and I would have done if I had looked at the shoes I'd perfectly placed in in sight of my exit out of the house and I just kept going over and over and over it and then I got all the FOMO of all of the um all of my friends posting all of their videos about being at the gym and it was like it was you know a, what you it could was a dark do? day <laughs> you know what you could do? you could marry into the royal family because if you if you're quite a high up royal you have people to do everything for you yes why didn't i think of that option yeah i mean you're young i'll put that on my whiteboard my whiteboard any, um, for ideas are there any available sort royal, of maybe um, a minor european royal minor i don't want to be a <laughs> cougar <laughs> <laughs> not young ones it just means the ones that who aren't you know don't oh have to like a be like right a, up the front the a g time. list <clears throat> yeah not too far you know just a few away from the throne not yeah. too so that you don't accidentally become um, our sovereign ruler. <laughs> the problem with that is I... Because that's another level of responsibility. Yeah, that would just replace one set of problems with another, wouldn't it, really? <laughs> <laughs> I used to live with the um, the King of Spain's nephew, and I think he's still single. He's about might be older than you, though. Okay. Is he on WhatsApp? Or... Um, he's, he's not, but we could Google him. Okay. <laughs> It was a long time ago. He won't probably remember me. I was like 19. So it's about 30 years ago. Okay. We had a good rapport. Okay. And um, we lived in Oxford. Ah, okay. So he knows the local yeah. area. Does he have a beard? 
Probably if he's 30 no, years I don't think he does. on from however old he was when you knew him. Mom, my mum was really optimistic when I was younger. When um, I only found out who he was because um, we were sharing family photographs and I showed him a picture of, you know, me and my photograph, me and my family on holiday in the Isle of Wight or something, Black Gang Chai, that kind of thing. And um, <clears throat> he showed me a family photograph of him and his family. And behind them in the background, there were some Velasquez paintings. Some what? And they were in a palace. And some, you know, they're in a palace of Velasquez. Do you know the painter Velasquez? No. He, um, <clears throat> okay, that's fine. We'll move on from that. Okay. Maybe... Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, they're basically some massive, like, four-metre-high oil paintings of his relatives on the wall behind him. Yeah. He wasn't in a suburban semi, put it that way. <laughs> and that was a clue. <laughs> that was a clue. And then after I was back at my mum's, I saw him in Hello! magazine. Okay. And then mum kept kept prompting me to get in touch with him, mm. which, um, yeah, I did. So we haven't been in touch for 30 years, but I believe that he is still available Alfonso you see life is full of what ifs what if I'd been diagnosed (laughs) with ADHD earlier what if I had have reached out to the man in hello magazine when my mum prompted me but then I still would have been the um the sort of the the twitchy ADHD undiagnosed ADHD twitchy girlfriend I don't think it would have I don't think I would have been able to seal the deal, even if we'd fallen mad in love. I'm mm. sure his relatives would have not. I mean, I would have wouldn't have been welcomed with open arms. I don't think that's what I'm saying. We'll never know. Never know. No. And that's the saddest thing <laughs> Do you about think it's this. It's too late. Maybe he is. <laughs> maybe he is single. Maybe he, maybe he's single because he remembers me. <laughs> Just traumatized. <laughs> Either traumatized, no, not like that because of love, but love, love, lifetime devotion. (laughs) Maybe I said some words to him. Maybe it's like a Sandra Bullock movie when he remembered that enchanted summer when um, we used to like cycle around Oxford and you know hang out. And I didn't know that he was royal, so he found me so charming. Yeah, and um, and he knew that you loved him. The only time that he, yeah, and it was the only time he could actually be himself. I mean, all jokes That's aside, cool. you could write that screenplay. <laughs> I'd watch it. Can I play you? I can't ride a bike very well. Can I play you okay, with stabilisers? <laughs> cycling like mad behind him. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, have you got any more um, emotions you wanted to talk about? about ADHD for the podcast that we do yeah it's um yeah I I feel like um I've um I've dabbled with the meds and I feel like there's a and I've also read a lot on forums about people who medicate and I wonder there's this question looming which I don't like which is is the price you pay for suppressing symptoms the the loss of your personality oh that's kind of that's a whole yeah. episode in itself really isn't it that, that's big maybe i because i so there's 
there's a lack of acceptance of myself and of the diagnosis and there's a massive feeling of like here's what you could have won mm. you know it, here's how much more settled and you 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 could have been the the day i tried the tablet the overriding sensation that I had, which was amazing, was being more gathered in, being more gathered. The, the main thing I noticed was that in my normal state, everything I have to say spills out of me. Every mm. feeling flashes across my face like the, um, the jumbotron at an American football match, right? It just constantly is written all over my face and Mm. I have to speak and I have to express every thought and feeling and it comes out even in the involuntary movements of my body like dancing around and jumping on the spot and the tablet gathered me in so I could observe and listen without taking an action and it made me reflect on how as a woman in that unmedicated state how vulnerable I've been that's how how it made me look back and kind of connect with the vulnerability of being Mm. that person that just shows everything Mm. (laughs) so vulnerable and emotional or robot it feels like there's two paths at the moment and I think it's really easy sometimes to kind of think um you know, going back to what we were saying about the what if, what if I like, what if I didn't have ADHD? You would, you you might have a slightly more organized life, or even if you knew you had ADHD sooner and were able to build in some um, coping mechanisms and strategies that, that may at this point have limited the 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 struggles that 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 we have now we might have a a more organized life but we almost definitely would be a different person like a a different type of person and we may we may never have if we if we hadn't had the full freedom to explore all of our ideas and our hobbies and our interests because we weren't bound by that diagnosis and oh therefore that means that we need to you know we need to watch how many new clubs that we start and how many projects we have on the go because blah 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 we might not have set up the businesses that we have or met the people that we have because we went to that belly dancing workshop once on a whim and you know it's like that there's there's the other side of what if which is the one thing that I take comfort in when I've burst my tire on the way to the gym and I'm feeling really ashamed. I probably, maybe I would have stayed in my first proper job, which was in a German investment bank. And um, I lasted a few months. Mm -hmm. I know, I lasted a few months and I had to go to one computer and get a printout and then take the numbers and then tap them into another computer. And then sometimes I get the numbers wrong, obviously. Yeah. And then bankers and really important traders and all these people doing all the big stuff would phone me up and say oh I've got um, I'm just looking at um, 
the Gazprom price and I've got 4.7 instead of 7.4 is that is that right and um, I'd say oh what what was it what was it that you had and they say oh I've got 7.6 I say oh yeah it's 7.6 no <laughs> idea what I was talking about and um, yeah I didn't last very long in that job mm. I got paid 16 grand and spent a lot of it on different outfits from Marks and Spencers which mm. I modelled on um, cabin crew I had Air Lingus which was a kind of a green <laughs> Air Portugal which was <laughs> like a navy blue jacket and a three quarter length skirt which I used to wear with a little sort of collar a little and I used to just so I used to in my mind all the time I was there I used to walk up and down the, uh, the office in the middle imagining that I was cabin crew mm -hmm. for a different airline depending on what I was wearing because I didn't know what the company did <laughs> what I was supposed to be doing and why I was there <laughs> uh, and yeah until I was sacked shortly after so yeah no maybe I would have I would have done well there maybe I would have maybe working I would be having one of those LinkedIn things that says you know <clears throat> head of head of um, European and Pan-Asian arbitrage division, Bank of America or something. <laughs> Maybe that would be, and I would have had loads of kids, so I would have married the guy. Actually, I remember my friend who I worked with there. It was a guy called Kevin Copperthwaite, who was a laugh, who was from Essex. He was one of the only good things about that job. I could have married Kevin, and he probably would have ended up working at Bank of America. We'd have a massive house in Dulwich with someone looking after the kids. And... Um, yeah, I'm glad that didn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> as you're describing it, I'm just thinking, mm, I don't not think me, no. I don't think you would actually enjoy that. It's not really a match. I can't, I can't imagine it. So yeah, maybe the, you know, maybe the sliding doors thing. It's, it could have been, a, it could be a lot worse. Although if Kevin Copperthwaite is living, listening, it would have been fun to marry him. He was really funny. Um, I mean, would you be open to marrying Kevin? If you no. had a different house, no. no. Okay, so no. Kevin is completely off the table. I, mean, I hope he's not listening because yeah, there was no, there was no, um, that might be something. There was no sexual frisson between Kevin and I. We were purely a, um, a spontaneous comedy act, um, the kind of comedy that comes the sort of in the desperation of when you're in a job and you don't know why you're there. Yeah, it was kind of like I've had being on the ti the Titanic as it was sinking and just forging a friendship as you laugh hysterically as um, yeah, you proceed towards the final destination. It was that kind of a relationship, but it was good while it lasted. Can we do an episode on all the times that we have been terrible at our jobs, probably because of our undiagnosed ADHD in the past? I mean, we'll, it's fine if you want a catchy title. Series. That's a whole series. Yeah, okay. There's terrible, I've been a terrible employee. Yeah. That's why I ended up really starting a business. That's the real story. I say to people, I'm just naturally entrepreneurial. No, I'm un unemployable. And naturally say, oh, unemployable. you're so funny. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> they say, Medically They say, oh, you're so funny. And I'm like, no, like I am profoundly, profoundly unemployable. Mm. 
at that job in the bank, right, I was literally the lowest of the low in this massive international company. And once a month, they'd have these floor meetings when <clears throat> all of us were hustled in and some big boss from somewhere would come in and he'd give us a big pep talk about, you know, the future and capitalism and stuff. And then I used to put my hand on <laughs> and, I'd, and he'd say something like, blah, blah, and we've reported, you know, growth of this much and this much. And I'd say things like, how do you feel about that? <laughs> and they'd be like, like who, oh, how who is this? this? Who that? are you? Who is this amoeba? <laughs> is this Get an employee? out! <laughs> once I asked, once I asked, um, what does this company actually do? <laughs> <laughs> Just asking for a friend. <laughs> what is this machine like i'm controlling its you know eyelash here but what is this creature that i'm part of just wanting to know <laughs> yeah that i was and and you know honestly quite short i don't know how the whole sacking transpired but i do remember that shortly after that i remember being in a room with my on one side of the desk facing the door and there being four lawyers on the other side of the room all men all looking at me saying what did you mean when you said that mm. and I started saying well I just you know I was just feeling just really upset about you know this being like four I just wanted you know wanted to talk about how I was feeling about <laughs> And they were asking, I know now as a mature person, they perceived something I said as a threat to sue the company. Mm. And I'd accidentally threatened to sue the company. So yes. I was being neutralised. <laughs> and I didn't realise, I thought they were listening to and wanted to talk. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. And then I had to go and get my stuff at my desk and leave. <laughs> And no one would look at me. I walked across. So I, you have to leave instantly. I went to my desk to sort of get my packed lunchbox and stuff out of it. And my, you know, emergency tights and stuff. Yeah. And um, literally no one. And I was going, bye. Just to say, I've just said, uh, hello. Hello. <laughs> and no one made eye contact. They just looked the other way and like carried on flicking papers until I'd gone. Until I'd left. And then I was on the pavement. I was like, oh. I thought they were going to promote me or something. I was. Going, I thought they were going to say something like, "You are someone who has ideas. We need yeah. ideas." <laughs> Honestly, that's what I thought happening like big companies, and that is probably the opposite of what was happening in that situation. Mm. But I didn't realise because all my traits were expressing themselves vividly. Yeah. <laughs> I had a similar experience in a dental practice that involved being shushed a lot because I used to sing and whistle in reception while dentists were trying to perform um, very intricate root, root canal, canal procedures. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was like a, it was a man. Everything was done manually. There was no computers, and all the appointments were booked in diaries. And I was forever booking somebody's. Are you the perfect person to hire to organise something like that? Absolutely not. <laughs> 
I'd people would come in for their checkup and then want to go straight in to see the hygienist afterwards and I would very helpfully book them an appointment for one day with the, the dentist and a appointment with the hygienist immediately afterwards seven days later day. yeah well they can have a little breather between sessions yeah <laughs> I did also work in a dental surgery as a dental nurse yeah I me pretended too did you yeah i because basically i was so rubbish at being a receptionist i just said that um all that uh you know assisting with the fillings and stuff that looks fun can i have a go at that so um it's the same and i wanted to do it because you you had to mix up the thing the the little scoops in you the scoops and the and the little to take molds of people that was fun brilliant it's just like playing with plasticine and little experiments (laughs) as well loved it it was in camden how did you get sacked and then I'll tell you how I got sacked. <laughs> so basically my worst skill was um balancing the uh, the books so each dentist had their own account and we didn't have a till we had a plastic pot in a drawer in the desk and all the money would go into one pot and then we had two separate card machines and it was my job to balance up at the end of um at the start of the next day the previous day's money and I was forever having to put money from my own purse into the pot to balance it because it would always be out like by like f- between three and ten pounds. And I you paid them to work there. Yeah, my what if I'd known I'd got ADHD sooner is what if I had more money now because I wouldn't have had to pay out of my own pocket to balance these dentists accounts every day because I just couldn't I couldn't add up and it could have been that I forgot to write something down on a little cash sheet so every time someone paid with cash you had to write it down write how much it was I would write things in the wrong boxes not write it at all write it on a previous day's cash sheet nightmare I also used to um, it was my job to process the x-rays as well was forever opening an x-ray outside of the x-ray machine have to open it inside but the this thing kind about of little, the money buck is you, dark box. that's literally that's literally the adhd tax you yeah. had to pay to work in a job that you were ill-suited to and didn't enjoy yeah because you didn't have a diagnosis yeah so on top I of that sacked. you internalize all of the yeah all of the comments about your and the feedback and the meetings about your organization and all of that and you internalize that as um well nobody else is struggling with this so i must just be not paying attention or not trying hard enough or not prioritizing focusing on my job um rather than just knowing that Sloppy. you don't have executive function skills the same as other people <laughs> my in my um career in dentistry <laughs> The, uh, my traits played out slightly differently um, because of the fact that my dad is a dentist who had a really he's had a stellar career and um, yeah he's a bit of a cheese I sort of approached the local dental surgery where I was going for a job with a little bit of disdain and I'm um, feeling that even though I had no formal training <laughs> Apart from tidbits that I picked up over the family lunch table growing up, I felt, <laughs> again, very, very confident 
to give unsolicited advice to <laughs> both, both the dentist who I was working for and indeed his patients. <laughs> Can I just ask, what uh, what materials are you using for your uh, tooth coloured fillings? I don't, yeah. And um, I think at one point I, I criticised his practice, you know, his bad practice, infection yeah. control, that kind of thing. Yeah. And all... He used to be very exacerbated. Just pass me the sucker! <laughs> and then one of my teenage heroes, the former um, head of the Labour Party, Michael Foote, he was a very old man even then. He died in 2010 or something. So he was really an old man then. Came in for his appointments. And I fangirled him initially and then attempted to make friends with him in reception instead of preparing for the next patient. Yeah. So, didn't quite pan out. That's well. not that bad. I that's no, I mean, good. I really made friends with him. That's good patient care. Made a note of his home address, that kind of thing. Okay, yeah. I mean, there's that's highly yeah. detailed patient care. I didn't, I didn't show up. I think I lost it, so I didn't go around. <laughs> <laughs> I would have. Oh, hi, Michael. For only passing. I love that I, it wasn't know, I your... I met you at the dental surgery. <laughs> it wasn't your, like, moral compass that stopped you from no. crossing the line of patient confidentiality. No, it, was it was your executive function difficulties. Yeah, employment. Oh. Maybe that so. prevented you from um, experiencing imprisonment following your dental career. I don't think... I think, I think I... Again, or marriage, you know, to uh, an icon of um, of socialism. Mm. That could have been interesting. It could mm. have been... could have changed the world. But no. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. <laughs> are you ready for a listicle i have never been more ready for a listicle because this is becoming (laughs) my favorite part of this whole experience hit me babe (laughs) okay so it's a bit cultural you might not like it Do you think I'm not cultural? Oh, listen, you know our, our listicle about that had guinea pigs? Yeah. Do you I? know when I was trying to find the wire for the headphones? Yeah. <laughs> I found um, one of the rosettes. That one of your guinea pigs won? Yeah. Oh, and that didn't make the listicle. <laughs> it was only a third. We only placed third that year. Okay. But um, I do have it. I'm going to send you a photograph of that as well. Would it have made the listicle if you'd won first prize? <laughs> maybe we uh, we should have all this as extra content that they have to pay on patreon to access yeah, if you would I like think it to would be super easy to sell the um... <laughs> <laughs> no brainer sign me up <laughs> so today's listicle which contains several references to death and the dying, is entitled Secret Symbolism in 17th Century Paintings. Da-da-da-da-da-da! Does that wet your appetite, Marcus? These, I, 
from your reaction, these things aren't the kind, the same, the things that occupy my ADHD brain aren't the same as the, the lists and things that you're making in your brain. Is that right? Correct. <laughs> so, secret symbolism in 17th century paintings was a wormhole that I went down in my mind recently that led to me jotting down these five things on a piece of paper. Firstly, the forget-me-not, a symbol of love in 17th century paintings. Secondly, a peacock, a secret symbol of immortality because in the 17th century, people believed that peacock meat couldn't rot. <laughs> That's an anth anthropological um, conundrum, isn't it? Isn't that um, a peculiar thing to believe? Well, it's just not true. Everything rots. What is truth, though? Well, and how did they know that then? If they have the same meaning of the word rot as we understand it to mean now, I mean, our eyes can and our noses can can prove that peacocks probably do rot. So do we all, do we all, we don't all know, we don't all believe things which are factually true or not though, do we? That was a belief they held. Right. Yes. Which I, I which I have respect for. However, I think that words mean things. Okay. The insertion of a dove in any painting of the 17th century. Okay was a nod to the Holy Ghost, not Christ himself, but the transfigured Christ on his way to heaven. That's nice. Yeah. That's very The nice. next two are less nice, so I save them till the end. Worse than rotting peacocks. Right, yep. strap in. If a fly appeared in the painting it indicated that the sitter for the painting was a corpse. Oh, that's dark yep. and kind of yep. disrespectful to the corpse. No offence. I mean, I know they can't be offended because they, they're very much there's dead. There's a great but... tradition of painting people after they're dead, though, to look, look alive or taking photographs of them. The Edwardians used to pose dead people as alive and take photographs of them as if they're alive wow i can't imagine they had much else to do it's a whole other show they didn't have kindles Um, and ipads and adult coloring books did they so no they they didn't have those little popply bobble things that you got from the pound shop yeah you were so pleased with yeah a popple so it's fair enough and the last one is even worse if they featured a goldfinch in the in the in the painting it meant that the featured child in the family group had also died the featured child in the family okay. group yeah the child in the painting was dead right at the time of painting or as in at the time they the painting being... was painted they may be they may be painting her as a living person but that in real life she wasn't living anymore right 
I thought this was good content. You um, should give me. <laughs> I am. I'm you just racking done. my brains Except... of how to how to <laughs> lift us back up again. But all I've got in my I head just is one of the... <laughs> rotting peacocks. Peacocks. I just think that it's just one of those. You know, this day was the this this episode was about the all the sad realizations and of. Um, diagnosis the the rain's pitter pattering on the roof like the pathetic fallacy reflecting the mood of the conversation how poetic so i kind of think the dead peacocks mm. are in fitting with it and maybe we'll bounce back with something a bit more bubbly next time okay i'm um, i'm just trying to it, think if, I, if there's a way left. that i can po poeticize which i don't know if it's a word but i'm saying it is the um the voices of the builders in the background to to be some kind of metaphor like yours but i've got nothing <laughs> builders is a met metaphor for um yeah um builders doing their work could be a, a metaphor for um the vaulting ambition of early christianity this podcast. oh <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should wrap it up and you should take them a hobnob. <laughs> Good plan. It's been a joy, mostly. <laughs>